Welcome to a special bonus episode of the Future Law Podcast, the show that looks at where the law has been and where it's going. I'm Mike Madison. This year, I'm celebrating 35 years in the legal profession. Currently, I'm a law professor at the University of Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, USA. In this episode, I'm chatting with my longtime friend, Lynn Borton. She's the host of a U.S. radio program and podcast titled Choose to be Curious, which is all about the critical role that the idea of curiosity plays in our daily lives and careers. Lynn isn't a lawyer. She had a long career running a huge grassroots mental health organization. But when I heard about her passion for curiosity, I started plotting a way to bring her to the Future Law Podcast. Who isn't curious about the future? Lynn, welcome to the Future Law Podcast. Thank you, Mike. This is fun to be back in conversation. I know. It's been a long time, but it's great to keep up. You have been hosting this radio program and podcast about curiosity. So I wanted to start us off with the big question. Why does curiosity matter? <laughs> well, I don't think any of us would ever have learned. We wouldn't be in relationship with other people, we wouldn't experience the world if it weren't for curiosity, right? And then we think of it as something that we kind of leave behind as kids. And for me, it was the realization that that's a huge mistake on many, many levels, and that it's a topic that was maybe worth learning more about. And it turns out there's a lot of research and theory out there. So I decided to make myself a student of the topic. And that led to a radio show, but I would never have anticipated that. <laughs> right. Like lots of us as podcasters never anticipated that we would end up in these roles. And here we are. And we're students of amazingly interesting and different things. So walk us through a little bit of your journey. How did you come into the more serious focus on curiosity? Yeah. So the bulk of my career was in nonprofit management. And I capped that off with a dozen years as the chief operating officer of a national nonprofit organization, advocacy group, with about a thousand affiliates across the country, mostly volunteer led. And a huge part of my job was governance. And it was basically my job to know everything. But there came a time when I realized that I was better at my job if I didn't know everything, and I came forward with curiosity. At some point, I'd had a, an organizational development specialist who reported through me. She did magical work, and she would periodically sort of say to me, oh, what happens when you get curious about this situation? And I would roll my eyes. and like, I don't have time for that. And then one day, I decided to get curious, and then I was like, oh, my God, <laughs> I have been missing out on this opportunity to do my job better by shutting up and being curious instead of being the smart one in the room, being the inquisitive one. And then I thought, there must be people studying this. There must be theory. There must be research around this. And so I made myself a student of the subject. And as it happened, I was participating in a leadership program in Arlington, and they do an annual homecoming event with things like TED Talks. And I thought, oh, I want to do that. And didn't know what I would want to do it on. And I thought, well, I'm making myself a student of curiosity. I'll, I'll talk about what I'm learning. I'm not an expert, but I'll just share what I'm learning. And so I did. And it was hugely successful. People were coming up to me, can you do, can you do this as a workshop? Are you going to do it as a TED Talk? What are you going to do next? And I didn't have a plan at all. It was a one-off as far as I was concerned. But that very day, somebody announced that there was a new radio station launching. And they were looking for people to bring fresh content 
And this kernel of an idea landed for me that maybe that was a place where I could take these conversations. And so, you know, after six years now of doing the show, that's that's where I am. So what's so interesting to me in that narrative is how you very explicitly experienced linkages between leadership, leadership practice, leadership concepts, which as we all know is a prime theme in management, in law, in medicine, all across the spectrum of professional activity, and curiosity, which as you say, traditionally we kind of leave it behind as kids, but you rediscovered it in your leadership career. Yeah. And and so I wondered if you could sort of start to put some content into the concept of curiosity. What do you mean now that you've been a student of this discipline for a while, you've been running your program, you've been interviewing lots of people as well as participating in other activities. What is curiosity? <laughs> that is the $60 million question, right? And, you know, I've had 175 of these conversations now, and I have gotten probably 200 different definitions for curiosity. And, you know, I mean, it boils down at some level, is it a state? Is it a trait? Everybody sort of agrees it's some version of a desire to know. You know, what drives it? How deep a desire? How quixotic is it? How how goal-oriented is it? How is it different from interest if it is? So I don't I don't actually have a good answer for a definition for curiosity. I mean, the, the name of my show is Choose to be Curious. And I came to that when I was putting the show together in the first place. And I was kind of doing a business plan and and trying to drill down, like, why am I doing this? Why do I want to have these conversations? What do I want to have be different for my participation and other people's listening to this? And I kept coming back to the idea that we make lots of choices in life. And I just wanted people given the opportunity to choose to be curious. And so that's where the title came from, because I kept kind of coming back to that refrain. And so I've kind of come to my own definition, which is that choosing to be curious is acting on the belief that there's opportunity in the unknown. And it's about that sense of opportunity. Curiosity is inherently optimistic, I think. It's one of the reasons I think it's so so powerful as a leadership tool, because I think it's an opening approach as opposed to a closing down approach. And leadership, in my mind, has always been about opening possibilities for people. So curiosity can be a choice. Is curiosity something that can be taught and learned? Or is it something that has a more organic, almost innate character? Well, that, that goes to the state and trait debate that's fierce out there. You're right where the conversation is among the, the folks who think about curiosity. Um, I think that it, um, it can be taught and it's like a muscle. It can be strengthened. So one of the things that I sort of harvest in my show is I ask people for their curiosity practices. And most people have them, but they don't think of them that way. They don't put that label on them. And people will laugh. It goes, well, I never thought of it that way, but now I do. And it might be something as simple as reading widely or loving to talk to strangers, you know, on the subway or 
a line that I go back to a lot from my from my upbringing was from my dad, which was, if you change your point of view, you will see something new. And that's actually one of my first, if I were going to come up with three simple rules for curiosity and leadership, that would be number one, because I think leaders often get locked into or lock themselves into a particular perspective. And there's a lot to be said for kind of moving around. You know, they say where you stand depends on where you sit. So for a lawyer, particularly a lawyer today, right? So our audiences consist largely of lawyers, legal professionals, law students, judges, and so forth all over the world, right? So this is not just for an American audience. Mm -hmm. How is curiosity cultivated in practice? Can you give an example from your own professional experience or maybe from some of the people that you've talked to on your show who come from, yeah. we'll say, adjacent professional backgrounds of curiosity in action? Yeah. So with the legal lens, you know, as I thought about this conversation, I thought a lot about the question of uncertainty. And the law is all about kind of resolving uncertainty. It doesn't really like uncertainty. And the paradox of curiosity is that it both uh, embraces uncertainty, but also seeks to resolve it. And I think that that's an interesting intersection for the law. And I, I think of a conversation I had with a chair of a governance committee when I was doing all this governance work in the nonprofit world, and I was fussing at him because he was writing this very kind of legalese standards language. And I kept saying, people aren't going to understand it. I mean, these are not lawyers out there. We have to make this implementable. We have to make this usable for the field. The language has got to be different. And his response was, oh, no, you can either be clear or you can be precise, but you can't be both. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, classic lawyer. Wrong, wrong. That's just so wrong. But I understand exactly why it is classic lawyer, right? So there's this tension, I think, on this uh, about uncertainty and certainty within curiosity and the law that I think makes for an interesting intersection. And I did a, an interview relatively recently with a young entrepreneur who had gamified a tour of the Washington monuments, kind of the, the sites of D.C. And he said, you know, when he got this idea, he kind of got attached to a particular solution, how he wanted to approach this. And that one of his curiosity practices was to back away from that. And he said, I'd like to fall in love with the problem, not the solution. So that he doesn't get wed to a particular outcome or a particular way of doing things, but to the idea that there's a thing that needs his attention and energy. I think that's actually pretty powerful. Wedded to the problem rather than to the solution. I really like that. One of the things that makes me think of is how curiosity is a fundamentally, I was about to say human, but then... We can think of animal examples as well, whether it's a behavior or a trait. Uh, it's not a condition that we associate with machines. Well, of course, there's a whole universe of people who are really trying to understand, can you 
create curiosity in an artificial intelligence? What does that look like? And what are these factors? What distinguishes curiosity from interest or simply data accumulation? For me anyway, and what I seem to be seeing is that there is this serendipity. There is this playfulness. There is this relational quality to it that we wouldn't think of in a machine context, right? And I think the relationship stuff is also a really interesting intersection in the law because the law is all about mediating relationships. And curiosity is a really important way to build a relationship. You know, you think about when you're falling in love, you're just hungry for information, right? When you're catching up with old friends, you're just hungry for information. You're curious about like, what do you care about? What makes your heart sing? You know, what's eating at your soul right now? That's how we build a relationship. As I mentioned, that's a question you you might ask a client, not just uh, a romantic. Yes. Well, and I think that's exactly right. That in asking those questions, you have a much better chance of representing your client effectively if you've gotten beyond the surface stuff, gotten beyond perhaps your assumptions, gotten beyond what they may want to tell you is going on to what's really going on. I had a a great conversation with Alp Azardem, who's the dean at the George Mason University's Carter School of Peace and Conflict resolution. And, you know, he, he said, I never thought of it this way, but you're absolutely like curiosity is, that's what it is. It's in the DNA of conflict transformation that you can't undo knots without kind of the lubricant of curiosity to understand why you're in such a stuck place. So let me turn it in a slightly different direction. Remember, curiosity killed the cat, right? That's one of the most Ah. famous sayings that's been percolating around uh, for centuries, I am sure, if we did a full dive into its history. There have to be trade-offs. There have to be dark sides, right? There There are are things that curiosity, sometimes we don't want to know things that we don't know. Sometimes people are afraid of the dark or afraid of uncertainty, and sometimes for very good reasons. So I wondered if you could address how you've come to think about curiosity in a broader context like that. So I want to quote two eminent thinkers for you. The first is my mother, (laughs) who always said that curiosity killed the cat, but satisfaction brought it back. (laughs) So... I don't embrace the idea that curiosity killed the cat, but John Maxwell, who writes on leadership, you know, extensively said curiosity may have killed the cat, but it builds the leader, right? So maybe the cat is the proverbial sacrificial lamb here. I mean, forgive the mess of metaphors, but there is a dark side. There's a very dark side. First, curiosity can be terribly intrusive and it can be very powered and encrusted with hierarchies, like there are questions that are okay to ask this person, but not that person. There are questions that you don't ask in certain company. Just having good intent doesn't address the impact of one's questions. And so I think part of building the muscle, it's like anything else that we learn to do. Part of the learning to do it well is also being intentional and careful about our curiosity. So 
had a wonderful guest who does work in a, one of the big kind of Beltway Bandit groups. And he always talked about asking questions out of care, that if your questions are coming from care as opposed to a gotcha or, you know, a desire to undermine or whatever, or even, you know, the place where lawyers get a bad name, that there's no such thing as gentle questioning. You know, it's sort of an inquisition as opposed to inquisitive, right? But if the questions come from care, which is the root of the word for curiosity in Latin, cura, to care, that's a very different feel. And it can push back against some of the dark side, I think, of curiosity. So I think it's a fair question. But I think like everything else, there are ways of coming at it that are more and less constructive, creative, supportive, and can help you avoid some of those dark places. Can you talk a little bit about the sociability dimensions to curiosity? As I've been reflecting as we've been talking, curiosity comes across largely as an attribute or a characteristic of an individual person in an individual kind of a conversation or a one-to-one kind of relationship. I'm going to infer with some justification in terms of my own experience, that curiosity gets expressed, this idea of care gets expressed in social settings, whether those are professional organizations, families, neighborhood groups, nonprofits, or volunteer groups. And I wondered how you've come to think of social influences on what counts as good curiosity, caring curiosity, what is potentially destructive or harmful curiosity, when to push on the accelerator and when to pull back? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting question. I think it's quite cultural. Uh, It's been interesting in having these conversations and kind of beginning to understand where curiosity is more and less tolerated culturally and and certainly in larger groups and how it's interpreted. There's actually really scary research about black kids' expression of curiosity being seen as disrespectful in a school setting in a way that white kids' curiosity is seen as good and not disrespectful. It's just an eager mind at work. So there are some weird biases that surface, I think, in those contexts. But you know, I I do a radio show, but most of the show is me listening. And curiosity is a lot about listening. And I think particularly in large groups, particularly in a lot of our kind of public and social dialogue now, there's not actually a lot of listening. There's a lot of talking at people and not a lot of slowing down and hearing what people are saying. And so, you know, when I think about those larger contexts in particular, I think about bringing curiosity to one's listening, you know, seeking first to understand and then to be understood, which is not how we usually operate. So the last question I wanted to ask you, and this hopefully is uh, generative in, in good ways, goes to change and how you're thinking about curiosity has evolved Mm. from your initial reflections on it when you were still in the professional world to the launch of your show to almost 200 interviews at this point. What do you think about curiosity today that's different than what you intuited about curiosity at the start of your practice? Well, you know, when I got started with this, curiosity was not yet hot. 
Curiosity is hot in the business world. I mean, you open any Forbes, Inc., there's Harvard Business Review. They're full of stories about curiosity. And that's both, to me, that's very exciting and a little worrisome because they're often kind of driven by how do we harness our employees' curiosity to improve the bottom line, which for me is kind of like a dark side of curiosity, right? I mean, to me, curiosity is about that more joyful exploration. It's about sort of discovering things for oneself, maybe also for one's employer, that sort of thing. So as I've had these conversations and kind of watched this evolution of a this popular idea of curiosity expand, I think it risks being pigeonholed. It's sort of the flavor of the day for the business buzzword world. And it's such a human trait, a human instinct. I think we're giving it language and I think we're giving it sunshine and oxygen. That's certainly my goal. More people will find more ways to choose to be curious in more circumstances, large and small. And I feel like I'm getting there. You know, I encounter people who listen to the show and they're like, oh, I was thinking about you. You know, something that got talked about to me, that's evidence of little itty bitty fingerprints is pretty exciting. And my goal is that it just keeps opening up. I'm just a, I'm just a conduit. You're just curious about curiosity. Can you close us off with a couple of good anecdotes, some of your favorite recent stories, people coming up to you and chatting or interviews that you've done that really sort of caught your imagination in a particularly distinct way? This is so hard. This is so unfair. You know this as a podcaster, right? <laughs> but I will say that there are a couple of gems that guests have given me that I use all the time now. And one was a, an interview with an evaluator um, who, you know, goes in and helps nonprofits figure out whether they're actually accomplishing what they said they wanted to accomplish, right? So she said, you know, you have your protocols and you do all this stuff and you're sort of asking the questions. She goes, but the best question ever at the end is anything else? And that that's where the good stuff comes. <laughs> so I have taken to using that. And I use that in my life. I use that in the show. And she's right. That's always where the good stuff comes. At the end, when you've built the relationship, you've been listening, you've been hearing stuff, they've kind of answered your questions. But there's always something more that people want to say. And that's the invitation to give it. I can't resist. <laughs> Anything else? <laughs> I would say go out for a curiosity walk. The best curiosity practice on the planet. Get outside and take a walk. Why is that? Why do you think the sort of the being outdoors and just moving about, why is that generative in this curiosity sense? I think we evolved walking and thinking. There's a deep kind of physiological route to it. But I also think that that sort of where you stand depends on where you sit. And if you sit somewhere too long, you know, your thinking slows down. So just getting up and moving around opens things up. You notice things. And particularly if you treat it not just as a walk, but as a curiosity walk, what am I noticing? What's different? What am I hearing? What's the smallest sound I can hear? What's the most distant sound I can hear? What are all the places I see red? Who's got something new on the door as I go past? It puts you in more intimate relationship with your surroundings, and that brightens them, it enhances them. You see things, you notice things, you think to wonder about things that you wouldn't wonder about if you weren't wandering. <laughs> you wander in wonder. Exactly. 
That has to be the perfect place to end this conversation. <laughs> Lynn, this has been so much fun and we could chat for yet another 30 minutes, but I think this is the right place to end for today. Thank you so much for sharing your perspective and experiences with curiosity. I will be curious to continue to see what you turn up via your podcast and otherwise. So thanks so much. Thank you, Mike. This has really been fun. And you know, until next time, choose to be curious. Thanks for listening to the Future Law Podcast. That's it for the summer bonus episodes. Dan Hunter and I and our producer, Perea, are busy planning the upcoming season of the Future Law Podcast. We'll be digging into the legal tech marketplace with some looks at alternative legal service providers. That's a rich and rapidly diversifying field, so we'll have a lot of great things to share. If you would like to share your thoughts on legal tech, then send us an email at futurelawpodcast at gmail.com, or you can get in touch with us via Twitter at the Future Law Pod. Also, if you're enjoying our show, don't hesitate to rate and review us on Apple or Spotify. Thank you to our executive producer, Priya Tahirzadeh, and editor, Fiona Smith. Bye for now.